electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans. And ahead this hour, who better to ask about the state of the economy than the people who run America's businesses? You'll hear from four of them. Upwork CEO Hayden Brown on the freelance economy and what it may tell us about tomorrow's big jobs report. That stock, by the way, up 42% in today's session after earnings. And for a snapshot on the service economy, the CEOs of Wyndham Hotels and Portillo's. Portillo's having a tougher day, down more than 10%. We will explore why ahead. Plus, the CEO who has been to space as the commander of SpaceX's Crew Dragon. He started his company, Shift 4, at just 16, took it public three years ago, and shares have doubled since then. Jared Isaacman joins us live ahead. Before all that, though, let's get a quick check on the market. Session highs, as you just heard from Dom there. Not much, but it's better than the red we saw earlier. Dow's up 42, S&P's up 4 to 45.17, NASDAQ up 53, outperforming as we await results from Apple and Amazon after the bell. And the biggest moves are once again in the bond market today. With a massive treasury supply surprising and unnerving investors, it's helping to send yields sharply higher. It's kind of hard to see. You want to look second row, uh, the green number, 4.17% on the 10-year. That's what we're looking at. On the 30-year, just under 4.3%, but that's nothing compared with where investor Bill Ackman thinks it will go, maybe to 5.5%. He said he's shorting it. Two-year note for its part parked around 488. So for more on how investors should position from here, my next guest has played the market pretty well so far. He's co-portfolio manager of the Morningstar five-star rated Hennessy Cornerstone Midcap 30, which is up about 25% year-to-date, even outperforming the S&P. He continues to be bullish and still sees some undervalued names here. Joining me is Neil Hennessy himself. He is the chief market strategist at Hennessy Funds. Neil, welcome back. Thank you. We spoke in April when the Silicon Valley Bank turmoil was still very fresh. And you said, uh, don't be concerned. And a lot of your plays have worked out pretty well since then. Where would you be looking now? Well, I think it's still a value uh, market out there. You have to look at everybody's looking. It's a market long in the tooth, Kelly. I say no simply because the S&P, uh, you know, is up 27%. It's really up only 10% if you think about, or actually 7%, if you think about taking out eight stocks. The same way with NASDAQ, it's up 37% for the year, but would only be up 10% approximately if you took out the Microsoft, the Facebooks, the NVIDIAs, you, you take the Googles, those eight companies out, Apple, and you, and you got a normal market. So it's not, a, it's not up as much as people think it is in looking for a collapse. And so I'm still looking at value. I'm looking at companies that just still have low prices sales compared to other companies, meaning less than a dollar and a half in sales is, is what we're going to start to look at to pay anything less than that. And so you can look at a lot of good companies, Academy Sports or uh, graphic packaging that people don't know. These are good, high-quality companies with great earnings and dividends that can be raised and going forward. Academy Sports, by the way, that was one we followed quite closely with Ken Hicks here on the show a number of times. They've got a new CEO now. Some of the longs who have been in that are a little nervous about whether those gains can continue, but you say don't fear. 
I don't, I don't think so because you got a price to sales ratio of approximately seven. The dividend's very well covered. They're earning tons of money, $2.50. So, I mean, I, nothing's really going to change. The leisure market, especially the outdoor leisure market, is going to continue to grow because that, during the pandemic, really got into the American bloodstream so that people want to continue to go out and explore the outdoors and fish and hunt and camp. And, and they're, they're right there with 270, almost 300 stores to capitalize on it even going forward. So graphic packaging, we don't talk as much about. Some of your other top holdings, <laughs> yeah. Super Micro, MCOR. I mean, again, we're in more the mid-cap part of the market. I do see AutoNation on here as well. Do you get concerned at some point about recession, about downturn? No, I don't think, uh, you know, everybody's been looking now for the last couple of years, Kelly, and talking about a recession, but people just don't realize the number one component of a recession is high unemployment. We do not have that. That's number, you know, that number's down to 3.6 or 3.5%, and we can't fill all the jobs. So that's out. The second really big piece of it is economic activity, and economic activity has not slowed down. And if you look at the largest companies out there, they're now committing at least 15% of their cash flow to cap at X expenditure. So they're trying to now explo uh, exploit their businesses going forward by putting more money into it. And those are the two factors. So I don't see a recession whatsoever. Well, that said, I mean, a lot of us, or I guess the whole point, uh, maybe, although maybe it's a fool's errand, is to try to go, okay, well, I just want to know when the recession's just about to start, and then I'll get out before everybody else does. Or maybe I'll rotate. Or, you know, I don't know how you typically uh, kind of play these cycles. I think, you know, Kelly, it's, it's the old adage, if you buy quality and you hang on to it, you're going to be fine over time. I mean, that's no different in the stock market than it is in marriage. <laughs> so it's very simple. <laughs> buy good quality, hang on to it, and, and don't worry about it. Sleep at night. Listen, there's a, a lot of jokes I could make, but I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> and thank you for your time, Neil, for joining us uh, and for just to check in, get the pulse on the economy. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Kelly. Neil Hennessy with Hennessy Funds. Now to one of the biggest movers in today's session. Shares of the freelance job platform Upwork are up 42% and on pace for their best day since November of 2020. It comes after the company swung to a surprise profit in the last quarter and upped its full year guidance. For more on these results on freelance work trends in general and what it tells us maybe even about tomorrow's big jobs report, we turn now to CEO Hayden Brown. Hayden, it's great to have you back here. Welcome. Thanks, Kelly. Great to be here. What, so what drove uh, this kind of surprise to the upside last quarter? What's going on? Well, we delivered a great Q2. You know, we had uh, strong results on both the top and bottom line. 168.6 million are on revenue, which was a 7% year-over-year growth, and really strong on profitability as well. 14.4 million of adjusted EBITDA, and we raised our top and bottom line guidance for the rest of the year. And this is really evidence of our commitment to strong, durable growth with this business, which we've always known we can grow, we can do. And I think investors see that we're delivering on that promise. Let me put it this way, for those of us who are obsessed, um, would you say your results were driven by macro or micro last quarter? Was it that people were looking for more freelance work or something like that? Or was it, no, hey, we executed better on you know cost discipline or price hikes or some personal sort of company specific stuff? This was an execution story. You know, we delivered a great quarter because our team was laser focused on driving profitability through the business and executing with customers on the needs that they have, even in this economy, you know, turbulent as it is, 
customers continue to need uh, freelance workers. They need uh, people for both generative AI type projects, which is a big story for us right now, and every other type of worker. You know, we have over 125 categories of work on our platform, and we executed really well to deliver talent to uh, companies of all sizes uh, through this quarter. Wait, that's interesting. So is the sort of the, the marketplace for AI skills actually driving a lot of engagement on your platform? Yeah, in in uh, total terms, you know, this is still a small area for us, but in terms of the growth here, it's been extraordinary. We saw a thousand percent increase in generative AI job posts in Q2 versus Q4 2022, 1500% growth in searches for generative AI skills and work on our site. So we're seeing really tremendous appetite from clients who are looking to find talent from Upwork to deploy generative AI models, build these models, figure out how to integrate this new technology into their websites, their mobile apps, the services that they're building for customers. So this is certainly a small piece of our overall business today. You know, it's growing off of a small base. But as we think about the future of our business and the fact that, you know, every business is trying to figure out how they can use this technology, these businesses are coming to Upwork as the destination for those skills. We also announced a partnership that was very exciting with OpenAI just this past Monday, where OpenAI and Upwork have teamed up to bring to market the talent that OpenAI's customers need, specifically that we have pre-vetted together as a curated pool of talent to offer their customers and businesses that are using OpenAI's tools to really um, get the talent they need from Upwork, again, to deploy and integrate those technologies into their uh, end use cases. Well, I can see why investors are excited now, especially as you start adding your to the list of companies that could be AI plays. Although, again, the stock's not where it was a couple years ago at the height of the pandemic, up at 50. But what would you say you are seeing right now in the labor market, broadly speaking? Because it seems like the labor market is getting more traditional again, you know? Okay, we see, you know, full employment to population ratio, those kinds of things, you know, back to normal kind of people working. But then I hear your results and I'm like, it still feels like there's been a permanent shift in behavior out there. Yeah, what we saw in Q2 was it definitely was a quarter of mixed signals for customers in terms of how they're navigating this macro. You know, larger customers, you know, in the enterprise space continue to operate with some level of caution. You know, they're experiencing budgetary caution. They are still, you know, exhibiting longer sales cycles than what we would have seen prior, you know, in a more normalized macro. And yet our team was executing better against that backdrop. In the smaller business side of our business, which is, you know, our, our marketplace side, you know, we do see a lot of resilience in that side of the business, which is consistent with what we've seen from like the ADP and other, you know, jobs reports that are coming out. True. And I think those smaller customers are, you know, they're springing back a little bit faster and they're more um, confident in this economy. That's amazing, given that they would face, you know, 9-10% borrowing costs and that kind of thing in this after these rate hikes that small business is still that strong. And just to circle back, I mean, you do wonder how much AI has I don't want to say masked because it's real, but has compensated for the slowing we'd otherwise see in the business cycle. And I think even Microsoft or other major players have talked about this, that enterprise demand for cloud. I think AMD talked about this. It's rationalizing. It's slowing. But at the same time, companies know they have to be in the AI race. And it's fascinating how much that is kind of coming at just the right time. Absolutely. I think businesses of all sizes are definitely leaning in and trying to figure out how this, you know, impacts their strategies, how they can digitize their businesses around this. You know, we did some research recently that showed 64% of C-suite leaders say they're actually going to hire more because of AI, Mm -hmm. not less. 
and we see that that's actually the companies that are moving the quickest in the space are actually mid-market size customer companies. And they're the ones adopting the technology fastest, putting it to work fastest. So I think you're right, Kelly, like every business is, you know, trying to figure this out. Some are moving a little faster than others, but certainly it's impacting, you know, everyone in the landscape. Fascinating. Uh, open AI delayed the recession. That's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm going with. Hayden, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it today. Thank you, Kelly. With Upwork. Coming up, Apple is expected to post its steepest third quarter revenue drop in seven years. It sounds dramatic, but it's just 2%. The question is, when will they return to growth? We are live outside Apple headquarters in Cupertino with more details and Wall Street's take. Plus, our executive exchange continues with a trio of CEOs still ahead, including consumer bellwethers Wyndham and Portillo's and an under-the-radar payments player. And as we head to break, let's get a quick look at the markets. The Dow erasing 160-point loss. It's up by 50 right now. The Nasdaq, the best performer of 42. There's the 10-year note all the way on the right at almost 418. The exchange is back after this. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to the exchange. Apple has rallied almost 50% this year, though it's down slightly today ahead of earnings this afternoon, $192 a share about. The market cap has been over $3 trillion since June, but it's about to post results for what is typically its slowest three months of the year. The street expecting a little under $82 billion in revenue for the quarter, a 2.3% year-over-year decline. Is it just a fluke or will top-line growth remain challenging? Joining me now to discuss is Martin Yang, who covers tech at Oppenheimer and has an outperform on the stock. And our very own Steve Kovac, welcome to you both. Steve, you're there, uh, you know, got to be there to get the results. And I guess my question would be um, a little bit about this, this revenue decline. Just kind of broadly give us what people are expecting. Yeah, sure, Kelly. So this is going to be most likely the third quarter in a row, as Apple has guided and estimates are out there saying, of revenue declines. And that's just because of a lot of macro headwinds Apple has been facing, like so much of the other consumer electronics uh, companies, uh, demand falling in the U.S. and China, those two important markets. And we do hear this growth story coming out of emerging markets like India or Indonesia, but clearly not enough to uh, make up for the lack of sales in those other bigger markets. So what you should really pay attention to, though, Kelly, is the outlook, because the question going into today's earnings is whether or not Apple can return to that growth after those three down quarters. Uh, So any kind of bullish commentary we hear out of Tim Cook and his executives 
on what they're seeing. Any green shoots in the U.S. economy after we've gotten so many uh, positive data points in recent months. And then also on the China side, which is kind of the opposite story, right? We've seen uh, so much negative economic data points coming out of there and how that all shakes out. And again, of course, uh, in September, we're expecting new iPhones. So they'll get a couple uh, weeks of new iPhone sales at the end of the current quarter, Kelly. Martin, what do you think is the key driver for the stock here? Yeah, the key driver for the stock is um, for this year is no longer going to be the hardware sales. I think it's widely accepted that a Mac uh, and iPad will be challenged due to pull forward demand coming out of COVID. And iPhone itself is not a key, is not going to see as strong a product cycle as it has seen in the past two years. Uh, we're expecting Apple to make comments, management to make comments regarding limitation of large language models on its devices, and that can maybe spark renewed interest in new growth drivers for hardware in the coming years beyond this fiscal year. So where, when do you think they're gonna to return to top line growth and does it matter? Uh, return to top line growth doesn't matter in the near term, but does matter in the longer term. When you look at Apple in an annual basis, it can reliably raise iPhone prices uh, double digit, um, very consistently, and uh, coming out of this lull and during the COVID, uh, demand pull forward, Mac and uh, iPad will continue on its market share gain story. I think it matters uh, beyond the six-month period, and in the next maybe three to six months, uh, doesn't matter as much. Yeah, quick last word to you, Steve. What else will you be focused on? Yeah, services. So on the outlook, also uh, Morgan Stanley expecting services to return to that double digit growth and any commentary from uh, Apple about uh, the install base, because that's the key for services for all those users, how they can charge them more for all the various services. And we've been seeing some resurgence here on the services side uh, from others uh, that reported last week, other tech names. Advertising seems to be coming back a little bit. That's important for the App Store and even gaming coming back a little bit. Nintendo reported incredible results uh, earlier today. So if gaming is coming back, that's great news for the App Store and services, Kelly. All right. Thank you both, Steve Kovac, Martin Yang. We'll hear from Apple and Amazon after the bell. It'll be a busy afternoon. Coming up, this industrial's name has more than doubled to start the year, hitting a new all-time high. This is not Caterpillar, by the way. I, it's frankly, I'm not going to say I'd never heard of it, but if you think you know what it is, tweet me or X me or whatever at KellyCNBC. We'll reveal it later on in show and tell uh, what the CEO is saying about the macro environment ahead. And as we go to break, here's a quick glance at the Dow heat map with Dow Inc. Intel and Chevron leading the way today with Caterpillar, actually, along with Honeywell and Salesforce among the worst performers. It's split, but the overall index still higher by about 50 points. We're back after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work.
Welcome back to The Exchange. We're putting together a better rally as we move throughout the day. 64-point gain for the Dow, 5-point gain for the S&P to 45.18. NASDAQ up a third of 1%. This is especially interesting because it's not as if interest rates have moderated today. In fact, we continue to see upward pressure on the 10-year all across the complex on the longer end in particular. Almost 4.18% really, but again, not much of a headwind here today. So many movers to get to and so little time, but let's start with Clorox, which is leading the S&P after a beat on the top and bottom line. The shares are up 9% today. Higher prices helped offset volume declines across each of its major segments, a familiar story. Elsewhere and to the downside, DXC technology is the worst name in the S&P. 30% drop now for these shares. Worst day since 2019. Lowest level in nearly three years. We're under $19. The IT services firm posted weaker than expected sales and slashed its annual revenue forecast. Now, elsewhere to the downside, Expedia is actually the second worst name in the S&P, having its worst day since the start of the pandemic. 15% drop here. They reported earnings, beat on the bottom line, but fell short on revenue and bookings. Again, a lot of people had their chips on the travel trade, not working out well for Expedia today. And Sunrun is surging after posting a surprise profit in Q2. Jenny Montgomery Scott upgrading the stock to buy with a $32 target, implying about a 60% rally after today's 11% move. Again, solar's been volatile lately. Some surprises to the downside, and today a bit of a rebound for Run. For more on that analyst call and the biggest calls of the day, head on over to CNBC.com pro. Now to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update. Tyler. Kelly, thank you very much. Former President Donald Trump left his private golf club and home in Bedminster, New Jersey, just moments ago. He will fly to D.C. to face charges that he led a wide-ranging conspiracy to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Among the charges Trump faces, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against the right to vote. Uh, and have one's vote counted. This is Trump's third indictment. He will be uh, fingerprinted, but will not have a mugshot taken. General Motors' robo-taxi unit, Cruz, says it's signed the driverless car industry's first labor union agreement. General Motors said the agreement will employ dozens of workers who will construct and staff Cruz's car-charging facilities. And Queen fans can see Eddie Mercury's personal items on display at Sotheby's London before they go up for auction next month. The collection includes stage costumes, handwritten drafts of Bohemian Rhapsody, and the baby grand piano used to compose Queen's greatest hits. The piano is expected to go for between 2 and $4 million. Nice thing to have in your home. Kelly, back to you. Yeah, but I'd be afraid we'd break it. Uh, <laughs> Tyler, thanks. Coming up, we are talking hotels and hot dogs with the CEOs of Wyndham and Portillo's. And later on, the head of payments company Shift4 joins us with his bullish read on the consumer. A special executive edition of Earnings Exchange is next. Welcome back to The Exchange. The ISM services report came in slightly cooler than expected this morning, with employment in particular almost contracting last month. If you're scratching your head about why, perhaps my next two guests can shed some light. Fast casual chain Portillo's out with some disappointing results today. While Wyndham Hotels and Resorts recently reported a beat on earnings and a revenue miss, shares of both are down. But let's dig into Wyndham first. The shares are up only about 6% year to date in what was supposed to be or really is a huge travel year. Now, they have been boosted by the international travel rebound, and they expect a $3 billion multi-year tailwind from infrastructure spending. Joining me now to discuss is Wyndham CEO Jeff Bellotti. Jeff, it's great to see you again. Welcome. Great to be back, Kelly, and welcome from 
Greensboro, North Carolina, where we're at the 84th playing of the Wyndham Championship. It, uh, ah. People are traveling in, in record numbers. This is the busiest tournament that uh, we've ever had. Uh, this city is packed, and, and people are, to your intro, still out and about and still traveling this summer. Right. I mean, it does feel like that anecdotally wherever we go, except maybe, you know, Disney or some of these places that are, are seeing really people shift to international travel. But what's going on with the little bit of softness then that, that's being picked up here? Well, last year was an astronomical year, as we've talked about on, on your show. We did report earnings last uh, week, and we continue to see an acceleration. Uh, back to that 2019 record year where it was the best year the industry ever, ever has experienced, we saw a second quarter that was up 8% to 2019 accelerate into July. The first three weeks of July, up 12%. We've seen continued acceleration here in the United States. And and so much of that is fueled by leisure demand. So do you think basically it was that last year was so strong on the reopening that even though we're still up, people just want to be dazzled more by, by the numbers? Well, people continue to want to see a pickup to 2019. We saw that last week. We saw that last night when Smith Travel reported. People are still traveling. Uh, disposable incomes are up. Earnings are up. The, the, the people are vacationing more this summer, Kelly, than they've ever been. They're, they're vacationing more in terms of uh, getting out. Uh, there's certainly a lot of, there's a lot more options this summer. Cruise is up, TSA is up, international travel is up, and, and the demand just continues to be out there from a leisure travel demand. Right, so I see what you're saying, kind of people want this to be, okay, we're back to 2019 levels or even better in some cases. Let's talk China, if we can, for a second. What are you guys seeing there? It's been a very odd year for China so far. Boy, but the last six or seven weeks over in China have, uh, again, been up over 19. There's still a ways to recover. I think occupancy were somewhere around 80 percent of the way back. Uh, international inbound is still coming into China. Domestic continues to accelerate. We had a very busy holiday season over there in May. And it's just been great to see so many consecutive weeks, both in China and in Europe and across uh, Africa and the Middle East. That so, leisure demand continued to pick up. And I'm trying to think of who else it was. Not, um, it could have been Yum or one of the companies that recently has China exposure. Maybe it was Starbucks also saying that just really in the last kind of month or so, Chinese demand is starting to pick up. Is that what you guys are observing? Travel demand is starting to pick up and development demand continues to pick up. It has been quarter after quarter after quarter for two consecutive years where we've seen a double digit increase in our development pipeline and our direct franchising business. Developers over in China are just as anxious to open and develop hotels as, as they are here in the United States. I mean, we have had now 12 consecutive quarters of pipeline growth globally, and we're seeing that, we're seeing that both domestically and internationally. And it, it, our developers, our owners, our small business owners believe that there's never been a better time to build a new construction prototype of ours in the economy and the mid-scale select service space because of the, the blue collar everyday travel business demand that's out there, then there is now. We're seeing it in China and we're seeing it here. So fiscal infrastructure, as you mentioned, you guys think is gonna be a huge tailwind. And we've talked about this before, obviously, but you're talking about multi-year at this point. Multi-year, it is so early, Kelly. This is the nation's most historic bill that's been passed since the Eisenhower administration. Our largest concentration of our of hotels are in the in, in the five states 
California, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, that are going to be receiving the bulk of that infrastructure spend. We're here in North Carolina. We spent the morning this morning with the North Carolina, Carolina Corps that has four mega projects under construction. When you look at the $600 million of incremental infrastructure demand that is going to be spent, less than 5% of it, 30, only $30 billion of that $600 billion has been allocated so far. And it's just now making its way out to the states. And yet that's what's driven the nine consecutive growths that we've been talking about in d domestic infrastructure demand. We think there's opportunities, obviously, in infrastructure markets where there's nearshoring in, in markets like Mexico adjacent to us with, with all the battery plant manufacturing. But yeah, it's a very exciting time for our small business owners to be out there capturing that business. And we're doing everything we possibly can to help them capture it. A lot of people, I think, have been caught off guard, not quite realizing the scale of what is coming at us. Um, and we've massive. certainly heard you and, and even some of your competitors ben benefiting from that. We showed your brands a moment ago, and it sounds like you're not averse to maybe adding more brands to the portfolio. Is there more hotel con consolidation coming at us? Well, they're absolutely interested in adding more brands to our portfolio. Our fastest growing brand that we launched less than a year ago is our Echo Suites by Wyndham brand. That is the first all new construction, extended stay product in the economy space. That brand that you have up on your screen right now, we have awarded over 250 contracts. Because Kelly, we believe the developers that are here with us at the Wyndham Championship celebrating the launch of this new brand, believe that the 1.8 million companies that will be contracting to put our nation's infrastructure workers, the men and the women who will be paving our nation's highways and building our nation's bridges, they're looking for quality new construction product in the economy space. We've been the leader of the economy space for many, many years. We continue to expect to lead in that space and that's a great example of a new brand addition yeah. that will continue to, 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 to look to innovate on. Yeah, not an acquisition, just a fresh launch. It's what the consumer wants. They want new houses. They want, you know, brand new hotels. They want fresh. They want modern. Uh, we get it. Jeff, we'll let you get back to, uh, to the golf course. And thanks for making the time today. We appreciate it. Great seeing you, Kelly. Jeff Bellotti, CEO of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. Meanwhile, sandwich chain Portillo's under some pressure today after missing slightly on both the top and bottom lines. Shares are down almost 12 percent. Comps a little lighter than expected. Uh, and that has shares actually back below the 2021 IPO price of $20 today. Now, the company has hiked prices twice so far this year, but said wages took a bigger bite uh, out of earnings compared with the previous year. Customers are also opting for some cheaper items as restaurant spending moderates. Joining us for more is Portillo CEO Michael Osanlu. Michael, how are you? Great, Kelly. How are you doing? You know, it's good. It's good. And it's good. It's interesting to come kind of on the other side of the, you know, we've talked during the pandemic. We've talked coming out of the pandemic. What do we yeah. call this now? Uh, you know, I don't know if it's full recovery yet. I think we're still in the process of doing that, but it's definitely uh, a new normal. Let's call it the new normal. Is the new normal like the old normal? No, it definitely isn't. I mean, in the restaurant industry, you've definitely seen uh, a secular shift of people wanting to eat on their terms more than in the past. So this uh, the growth of off-premise, the growth of third-party delivery, those things are real. They're here to stay. I don't think that um, I don't think a, a restaurant business in fast casual or QSR space that 
has a uh, a big dining room presence is ever it's ever going back there. So I think we're going to be close to, you know, a, a new normal. So revenue up 12 percent for the year. EPS down slightly. Net income, same story. I mean, was that a wage issue? No, look, I, w- I would uh, I'd characterize your overview of us as um, I think we're right in line on on most people's consensus on revenues. And then on the on terms of the bottom line, what most people look at for us is uh, restaurant level EBITDA. That's what really matters. That's how productive our restaurants are. And I, and I think in general, we beat on the bottom line. So I'm not sure. Um, you know, we're still a relatively new public company with a relatively small float. So a little bit of trading one way or another can have an impact on us. Uh, so I'm not sure what explains the uh, the stock reaction. The buy side analysts certainly uh, were, were pleased with our results. So when, let me put it this way. Would you describe um, any issues with, you know, we mentioned consumer trade down or, you know, are you seeing anything on that yeah. side? Um, are wage or kind of the labor market pressures you know, still there? Or are they getting better? Yeah, I, wage pressures are there still, and I don't think that's changing anytime soon, right? I think that we've seen that uh, wage inflation, particularly at the lower level uh, employee, is still there and it's real. And we have wage inflation from municipalities, but we also have competitive wage inflation, and so th- that is real. It has definitely gotten better. It's not as bad as it was last summer or even the summer before. So it's starting to mitigate a little bit. But, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, you've seen tremendous wage inflation and we're still dealing with the reality of that. Michael, just give us a moment. Uh, We have some breaking news on uh, on one of the major crypto stories we've been following. Let's just bring in Eamon Javers for a moment. Eamon. Hey, guys, I'm here with Heather Morgan. She's just leaving the courtroom. She's decided not to talk to press. As you can see, she's walking away with her attorney. She just pled guilty here to two counts. Uh, she pled guilty to a uh, money laundering conspiracy count and a conspiracy to defraud the government. You can see her walking away with her attorneys here. Uh, what's happening simultaneously, of course, here at the federal courthouse in Washington, D.C., is that we're expecting former President Donald Trump uh, to appear in court later today. So there's a media scrum here uh, for Donald Trump, not for Heather Morgan. Morgan, remember, she was part of the crypto couple, famously. She called herself uh, the Crocodile of Wall Street. She and her husband both appeared in court this morning here in Washington, D.C. He pled guilty to one count of money laundering uh, conspiracy involving the hack in 2016 of Bitfinex, the crypto exchange. That was a $70 million hack at the time in 2016, but it ballooned in volume to more than uh, $3 billion worth, worth of value. The couple was sitting on that currency uh, all along, according to the U.S. government, and trying to money launder it and get away with uh, laundering the proceeds of it and able to benefit from it. They both ended up being arrested, uh, and today in court, they both pled guilty here uh, to money laundering conspiracy, and Heather Morgan uh, pleading guilty on a second count uh, involving conspiracy to defraud the federal government. She just exited the courtroom, as you can see. I don't know if you caught the beginning of that. Uh, she had nothing to say to reporters here as she left. But uh, the crocodile of Wall Street and her husband now uh, have both pled guilty. Guys, back over to you. Eamon, thank you very much. On a very busy day down there, as you mentioned, our Eamon Javers reporting. Let me turn back to Michael Osanlu of Portillo's. Uh, Michael, we were just speaking with Wyndham CEO a moment ago about the tailwind yeah. he expects from infrastructure spending. And as he's talking about all these states that are going to see massive inflows of money, I'm looking at your expansion plans and thinking, you know, they overlap somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely hope he's 100% right. You know, it's a it's a two, it's a side of two stories though, right? 
um, the uh, student loan dynamic, right. people having to pay back student loans, that is a, a, a big, big loss of discretionary income from a consumer set that does love to spend in restaurants. So I'm hoping that the two of them offset one another and we still have positive momentum in the back half of the year. But he made some great points about the infrastructure spend. It's going to be good for America. Are you in general, when you're looking at 11 to 12 restaurants, Arizona, Texas, Florida, I mean, is that because that's where the population is or because if you're in Chicago traditionally, you just, you know, you're looking to take this uh, to be a nationwide brand? It's actually a bit of both, Kelly. You know, on one hand, uh, Texas, Arizona, Florida, three fastest growing states in America by population count. Lots of cranes up, lots of new development, lots of new construction. So for us, it's a wonderful opportunity to get in on a ground floor in new developments and in, in new uh, uh, commercial real estate development, et cetera. But, but you're 100 percent right as well. It is a little bit of we want to be a national brand. We, we're proving it every single day as we build out new restaurants. And, and taking our, our business to Florida, Texas, Arizona helps validate that. Uh, you've raised prices, call it five points so far this year, obviously more than that if you yeah. lap 12 months. What do you think it's going to look like in the coming 12 months, especially with some of the student loan pressure you're facing? Um, I'm, it's going to sound like a hedge, but I honestly don't know. Sure. Um, one of the things that... We want to pay close attention to is the rate of increase in commodities, inflation overall, and wage inflation. So we're still a relatively small, very agile company. If things get out of hand, we can always raise prices a little bit. When I look at our underlying momentum, we have uh, fantastic guest satisfaction scores, fantastic value perception scores, and, and we compare our most popular bundle to our competition, and we're, we're really a great deal. So if we have to, we can raise prices. I would prefer not to at this point, you know, with a with a economy that's a little bit fragile. I want to make sure that we provide as much value as possible to the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, thanks for joining us today. We, we do appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. Michael Lasanlu is the CEO of Portillo's. Still to come, another pulse on the restaurant space, but this time with a CEO who knows Elon Musk and has been to space. Jared Isaacman of Shift4 Payments joins us coming up on The Exchange. And as we head to break, here's a look at the sector heat map with the Dow losing its gains once again, up three points right now. Energy remains the big winner, up almost 2% on the session. Utilities, real estate lagging as rates move higher. They're both down about 2%. The S&P's gone negative again. We're back after this. Welcome back to The Exchange. Dow's gone negative once again, but it's time for some show and tell where we show you a chart and tell the story. Builder's first source was the mystery chart we showed you earlier. Kudos to 10X Trades, who guesses it every time. Uh, the building supplies and materials company taking a breather after hitting an all-time high yesterday. Their shares have more than doubled year to date and have surged 1,200% from their pandemic low. Here's what CEO Dave Rush told Squawk on the Street about whether that momentum can continue. We're cautiously optimistic that the full year single family will be down single digits to 2022, but much better than we expected coming into the year. And it also underscores our belief that fundamentally housing has been underbuilt and there's still a demand presence out there that's it's going to carry us through. Coming up. Shift 4 reporting strong earnings, raising full-year guidance, but can they weather a tougher consumer environment ahead? We'll talk to the founder and CEO, Jared Isaacman, about that and more next.
Welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of payments company Shift4 reversing course throughout the trading day. They were up 4%, briefly negative. Now they're up half a percent again. They had a strong report and a full-year guidance hike. They did beat on both the top and bottom line, with earnings topping estimates by 22 cents. End-to-end payment volumes up almost 60% over the year to a record. Net profits up 61%. But on the call, management sounded cautious on next quarter, particularly as restaurant spending moderates. Let's dive further into it with uh, founder and CEO Jared Isaacman. Jared, it's great to have you on the program. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It's a little hard for me to stay on subject when I can also ask you about space and Elon Musk. I mean, how do you, how, how, what does a day for you even look like? <laughs> the, the vast majority of my time is very much spent with, uh, with Shift4. We've got a lot going on. We're, we're winning a lot of business. We're expanding globally. We actually had a lot to talk about today in that regard. So uh, that's still my primary focus. But, um, you know, space is certainly very interesting. Before we come back to the global expansion, and, you know, there's some synergies there with space and, and all the rest of it. But in all seriousness, there's a big um, kind of controversy, let's call it, in the restaurant payment space right now because Toast, some of the others are – they have these fees that restaurants are getting upset about. You guys are trying to go the other way. Just talk to us a little bit about this competition and what you think your advantage could be here. Yeah, so, so first, I mean, with Shift4, we, we've been growing very fast in the restaurant space for you know, nearly two decades now. I mean, we touch about a third of the restaurants in the country. We can, we, we, can, we can win a lot of restaurants and we can do so profitably. So we're not trying to price our way out of a problem. I think some of your other growth of your tech players, you know, looking for opportunities to you know, um, achieve profitability might, might have um, been looking at things differently. From our perspective, this isn't the time to be punishing restaurants. Uh, it's the time to be helping them out. So we launched a program. We'll, every re- any restaurant that wants to switch over to Shift4 for our services, we'll give them $5,000. We'll also pay them a dollar for every online order instead of trying to penalize their customers for doing so. Um, the results have been you know, received pretty favorably. We've got a lot of demand right now. That's not going to be a bait and switch where it works for now for customer acquisition, but then you have to change it to stay profitable? No, I, I think there's a big difference between an organization like ourselves. I mean, we grew EBITDA 60% year over year. I mean, we raised the top end of our guidance. Uh, you know, we expect EBITDA to be upwards of 460 million. We have 55% free cash flow conversion. We're not looking for opportunities to ding a customer relative to some of the others out there that are actually burning, you know, several hundred million a year. And they're kind of looking for opportunities to, to create extra income. This is an opportunity for us to be able to help customers, just as we've done in the restaurant space for more than 20 years. Right. And obviously, it's been a tough go for the IPOs that came public around the time you did. But your shares are still up about uh, double since then. Is this the company you founded at 16 or was that a previous one? No, no. Same company. Uh, same company. I mean, we've evolved a lot. I mean, when I was 16 years old, the name of the company was United Bank Card. It had to sound like it had been around for a really long time. Um, you know, as we've evolved, we're very much more of a tech and software software organization. But we've grown revenue year over year every year since the time we were in my parents' basement, you know, uh, 24 years ago, even through now. Well, <laughs> I don't even think I would have understood and had the foresight to try to sound older when I was, you know what I mean? Like there, there's a lot, uh, a lot to unpack there. Um, we just spoke with a couple of CEOs, one in particular more on the restaurant side, who's a little concerned about the back half, maybe student loan payments and all that. Um, what do you think in terms of overall payment volumes? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's important, one, to disconnect shift for and kind of our growth algorithm with that of, you know, um, you know, same store sales and kind of consumer sentiment. I mean, if we, we grew payment volume 60 percent year over year in the quarter, um, you know, you can have consumers that may choose to dial back a little bit of their spending. Um, you know, same store sales could be flat, could be up one percent. And that's pretty, pretty pale relative to 60 some odd percent. And that's because our growth is entirely a factor of winning share. It's a big addressable market. We differentiate in a lot of ways. We 
win net new customers. It's how we grew payment volume in restaurants double digits in 2020, when a lot of our customers were operating at like 20% strength. And again, it was a factor of winning share. So, you know, that said, you know, our hotel and travel business going very strong, stadiums going strong, ticketing going strong. Restaurants, there's definitely a little moderation there. Hmm. It's not the uh, euphoria of, of 2021 when everybody was reopening and things were going out of control, but people are still going out and eat and drink. And, um, you know, it's obviously still contributing very well to our volume growth. Yeah. And in the meantime, you did make some time to be the commander of Inspiration4, a private space flight using SpaceX's Crew Dragon Resilience, which launched in Florida in September 2021. Uh, and return to Earth two days later. I I don't even like flying, you know, so I I give you credit. I don't want to be one of these space pioneers, but I appreciate the work you're doing for the rest of us. Yeah, well, super lucky. I've been a pilot for a very long time. Uh, I had a defense aerospace business for a bit. To me, flying in space is certainly one of the pinnacles of it. It's very exciting, but it's done a lot for Shift 4. I mean, we signed a very important customer as it related to that space mission. It's why we're expanding all over the world. I mean, you know, we've been winning, growing revenue year over year, every year in the most competitive market in the world for payments, which is the U.S. And now, actually, thanks to that mission, we're expanding and bringing our services and capabilities all over the world, including today where we announced significant progress on our European expansion initiative. So, you know, space brings some good things every now and then. No, (laughs) I love the the synergies with the payments business is not uh, what I foresaw. I don't know if you know or want to comment about how well you know Elon Musk personally, but listen, I was excited when he took over Twitter because he's a product guy. But this whole X thing, yeah, I don't know. What are you what are your thoughts? I think you cannot bet against Elon. I think he's one of the the, the greatest entrepreneurs uh, of recent times. Um, he's not done it once. You know, he didn't. You know, didn't strike gold once. He's done it in multiple industries. And I'll tell you, every one of the ones he's doing it for is for the betterment of all of humanity. I mean, we're talking about EVs and electric cars because of what he did with Tesla. You know, he's restored a, a significant competitive capability to the United States with with SpaceX. I have no doubt he's going to do it again and again across a number of different industries and. You know, X now, uh, formerly known as Twitter, is just one step in that direction. <laughs> but come on, you're not, do you call it X? There's no way. What do you? How do you even describe activity on the platform anymore? We're all still adjusting from the, uh, <laughs> the Twitter to X flow, but uh, I, look, I like uh, I like X. Uh, I think it'll I think it'll stick. <laughs> Jared, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate you bringing us up to date on the quarter and on everything else uh, that you're up to. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Jared Isaacman is the CEO of Shift4. All right, that does it for us on The Exchange today. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.